In the 1980s, action stars were larger than life. You had Stallone, you had Arnold. That's just to name a couple. Those guys were the blueprint of what future action stars became. But one old man came around in 1985 and proved them wrong with his over-the-top revenge classic, Death Wish 3. Charles Bronson, Death Wish 3. First, they took the streets. Then, they took it all. But their next target may be their last victim. Charles Bronson, where there is no justice. There can only be vengeance. Charles Bronson, Death Wish 3. Now playing. Consult your listings. What more can be said about Charles Bronson? He does not look like your typical action hero. He dresses more like a like a substitute teacher. In fact, he should have been the kindergarten cop. But to be completely honest, every time I saw him, I always thought of the old people who walk the malls before anybody gets there in the mornings. He dresses like 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 Mr. Feeney from Boy Meets World. I just never understood how this guy was ever taken seriously until I saw one of his movies. And really the only reason I saw Death Wish when I was younger, when I shouldn't have, was because of the fact that he was this like he was identical looking to my grandfather. I there the resemblance was uncanny. Like you every even to the stupid Fu Manchu mustache. The dude had everything. Since we're doing Death Wish 3, I thought I'd give you guys a little bit of a backstory on Paul Kiersey. Paul, in 1974, when the first Death Wish movie came out, was just a mild-mannered architect. Nothing crazy. And it's not... It Actually, it's very different than what you see now in these revenge plots. Like in The Punisher, dude was part of the military. Well, okay, well, now you know. Now we know why he knows how to use a gun. John Wick, same shit. You know, everybody seems to have been some sort of badass before they calmed down and tried to have a, a normal life. Not this guy. He was already having a normal life with no prior experience to weapons. And uh, his wife and his daughter were raped and beaten. He wanted to take vengeance out, but he couldn't wait for the police. So he did it himself. Second movie, basically the same thing. He gets another girl. They go and they uh, do the same thing to her and her child. And he does it again. The third movie gets kind of different. And this is where the fun happens. I just felt like they just needed to find any reason to have Paul kill everybody. So, he's on a bus to go visit an old friend in New York. Um, After he gets off the bus, he calls his friend on a payphone. And what happens? His friend gets murdered while they're on the phone talking. Now Paul has to go over there and find out what the hell happened. But he gets arrested. And uh, the police let him go. Actually, the chief lets him go because the area that his friend got beat up in is overrun with punks. Now, they're not gangs like the 90s or the 70s. They are 80s thugs. I love 80s thugs because they all look like Streets of Rage characters, Double Dragon characters, just 
any of those side scroller beat up games on uh you know from the arcades or from nintendo or sega they all looked the same they were they all had different colored hairstyles they all had the leather jackets some of them had chains and pipes and that that's what i enjoyed the most because it was just over the top so the chief tells paul hey well you know what i need you to clean up this place because i've heard what you've done in the past and i know that you're the only man that can fix it so they decide to send uh they decide to send him to that bad neighborhood. It's like it looks like a like a project. Area. It just looks like a bomb hit that whole place. That's how destroyed that whole section of the city looks. First and foremost, I want to say I am glad I don't know Paul Kiersey. If this dude has the worst luck I've seen in any series of movies. I don't even want to shake his hand, nor give him that what's up head nod when you pass by him in the hallways. Nothing. Every person this dude meets dies. It never fails. Like, why, why even try to move on with your life? This whole series could have ended after the first movie, but no, he wants to keep... You know, putting his dick in every chick. And I don't even understand how he even gets these women in the movie. Every time he meets a woman, she ends up dying. Never fails. Look at all five of the movies. Just go back. Like, I don't want to meet this guy. Ever. <laughs> like, for being an architect, he's pretty dumb. He should have just caught on and be like, you know what? I'm the fucking angel of death. Everybody I see just dies. He needs to just stay home. It's kind of like that movie Taken. This dude needs to fucking keep his daughter at home. I don't, there shouldn't even have been that many movies. The kill scenes in Death Wish 3 are just... Wow, they're just something to be amazed. Like, you have to watch it. They are so over the top, it's ridiculous. And, uh, rightfully so. One of my favorites has got to be the scene where he uh, buys a brand new Cadillac and uses it as bait. He parks it in front of the uh, his apartment building and... The tenants who live there, they're all in, they're all living in fear because of the this, this infestation of punks. So they tell him, hey, you know what? Don't park your car there. They're going to mess with it. And he wants it to happen. So he decides to eat dinner with an older Jewish couple who lives in the apartment under well, below him. And their window is facing his car. And what happens? The punks, they go and they mess with it. Now I'm going to play a short clip. I wish sometimes this was a video podcast so you guys can actually see what I'm about to tell you, but you're going to hear it. The reason I want you to hear it is it shows pretty much who Paul Kiersey really is. He takes no prisoners. He's not going to give you a long-winded speech before he shoots you. He just pulls a gun out and shoots. So here's a quick clip. What's the problem? What? With the car. What's the problem? Just get out of my fucking face. Who are you? We're stealing the fucking car. What's it to you? It's my car. Now you're going to die. Man, that whole scene is just great. Um, it really sets the tone for the rest of the movie. To be completely honest with you, it's like one of my favorite things I've ever seen in film. But he does also... Kevin McAllister, this apartment building. 
uh, some guy breaks into his apartment. He notices because there's footprints com- uh, coming in and out of the window. And he decides, well, okay, well, I'm going to put a piece of a door with a whole bunch of big-ass nails coming out of it. And sure enough, he catches that dude. The older couple downstairs, they're getting their apartment broken into. So he makes some sort of rat trap type of thing with a 2 by 4 He puts nails in it. He clamps it down, kind of kind of like a like a catapult type of thing, and he triggers it to the window. So anybody that comes in through the window, that two by four is coming straight at you with uh, with that big ass nail in it, and uh, it gets you. And sure enough, we don't see it happen. We just hear somebody scream, and you just start laughing. Like there's no way you cannot laugh at that scene because you know he fucking got somebody's ass for the first 15 minutes or so. He keeps telling everybody, well, my friend Wildy is coming. Wildy's going to be here. And everybody's thinking, oh, it's some sort of partner. But it really isn't. It's actually this humongous magnum. It is a. It reminds me of the gun that the Joker pulls out in the first Batman movie. Where he just like takes like five minutes to, for the whole barrel to come out. Um, I don't know too much about the specs of this weapon. I'm just going to let him explain that to you. Fires a 475 Wildy Magnum. Real stopping power. Is that like a 44 Magnum? No, a 44 Magnum is a pistol cartridge. But a 475 Wildy Magnum is a shorter version of the African big game cartridge. Makes a real mess. That is a monster of a weapon. And yes, I do mean the gun. <laughs> but... Um, the first person he uses it on is some idiot named the Giggler. Now, the Giggler's whole act is to go and take shit out of your hands and run away with it while he laughs. That's that. That's his whole character. So Paul decides that he's going to set up bait for him. Buys a very expensive camera. And where he's getting this money from, I don't know. But he slings the camera over his shoulder by its leather strap. Goes downstairs, gets an ice cream from a convenience store, and the giggler comes, and what does he do? Fucking takes the camera and runs off with it. Now, you know, like I said, Paul's got this gun. He pulls it out of his jacket. Doesn't even aim the bastard. Just points it in the general direction, and the dude's got to be at least almost half a block down. Paul pulls the trigger and uh, shoots the guy in the back, and... uh his whole chest explodes open. He dies. Obviously, right? He got him, like, in the most perfect spot. And instead of everybody running around in terror, like, oh my god, this dude's got, like, this crazy gun, and he just killed another man. Everybody comes outside. They, you see the people from the apartments. They open their windows, and they all start cheering. It's a great moment. Because now, everybody is happy that someone is doing something about the bullshit that's going around there. So let's get to the love interest of Mr. Paul Kiersey. Now, like I said earlier in this episode, he meets all these women and I don't understand what they find so appealing about him. So Catherine is a public defender. She immediately falls in love with this dude, invites him to dinner. She makes the greasiest fucking chicken I've ever seen in my life. And he's like, oh, great. I love chicken. Not this one, but he eats it all because, you know, he wants to, he wants to rearrange her guts and no, not in a bad way either. So 
they fall in love. She wants to move to another city because, this, you know, it's gotten so bad there that, you know, she can't take it anymore. The punks find out that they're messing around. So they knock her out in the car while alone. So she's sitting in the passenger seat. Paul decides to get off and go inside the store real quick. They knock her out. They pull the brakes on the car and roll it down the street. So she's going downhill. That car runs into another one and explodes. Wow. Once again, the curse of Death Wish happens. This dude needs to just stay home. Stop infecting people with bad luck, man. I, I just uh, I just don't get it. And the funny thing is, you, you see all these punks there, a lot of them are tough looking, and then you get one. One that I immediately recognized. Um, he is played by Alex Winter. We all know him as Bill from Bill and Ted. Funny thing about Alex Winter is in a documentary about Canon Films, he talked about some of the behind-the-scenes stuff of Death Wish 3. And uh, one of the incidents that took place was Charles Bronson was supposed to hit him with a, with a, with a lead pipe. And that scene wouldn't happen for some reason. And, you know, he never showed up to set. He didn't want to. He just didn't want to do it. And the director kept asking him, hey, hey, Charlie, you know, why don't you want to do this? Just hit the kid so we can go home already. Charles Bronson replied with, and I quote, I can't hit this kid. He looks like a fucking choir boy. I'll lose my audience. Towards the end of the movie, we see all the punks decide that they're going to tear up this whole section of the city now. And their main target is Paul. Now, Paul decides to, uh, you know, go back to the apartment building where every, where all of his friends are now, his new friends, once again, putting everybody in fucking danger. So, all the punks are coming after him. He decides to use a 30 cal machine gun and plow through all of them. It reminded me of the video game Left 4 Dead, where you just get all these horde of people coming at you, and you're just chopping them up with a fucking machine gun. Dude went ape shit on him. Even better, he's using Wieldy after the after the the whole ammo is done with that. He pulls out Wieldy, like I said, that humongous gun, and he starts shooting people. Now, yeah, obviously you shoot people with guns, right? Well, this time he's on the floor and he's shooting people that are sniping him from the top of the building, and they're just falling off. Great, great moments because you can tell when they're dummies and like they they just threw him off the top of the building. Just amazing. You could not get any better than this. And like I said, the shit is over the top. The most over the top moment happens when the main punk decides, you know, they they meet up in Paul Kiersey's apartment. The punk's about to kill him. The chief of police is in there too. He's about to kill the, the officer also. Points the gun the other way. Paul pulls out a rocket launcher. That's right. A rocket launcher. You didn't hear that wrong. And uh, blows this dude to pieces and half of the building with him. Everybody just walks out unscathed and unscratched, which is just nuts to me. 
the police chief says, well, you know, they're gonna, you know, the police are, you know, the rest of the force is coming. Just go ahead and go. He lets him go just like that. And in seconds, Paul has his bags and he's walking. Didn't take another bus. He's walking away like he's Bill Bixby at the end of the Incredible Hulk series. And he just walks off into the sunset. This movie is just amazing. I can't say more than enough good things about it. It's just one of those when somebody asks me, hey, I know you've seen a lot of shitty horror movies and a lot of crappy, you know, superhero movies and TV shows and whatnot. But can you give me an action movie? I will always say Death Wish 3. There is nothing for me that tops this movie. I can sit and I can rant about this for days. Everybody who I know is probably listening to this show has probably heard everything I'm saying already more than enough times over. And to me, this movie has everything you want in an action movie. There's explosions, there's bullets, there's, you know, just everything. The soundtrack isn't all that great. It sounds like a 70s porn. But to be honest with you, if you really think about it, or if you've seen the other movies, it's the same soundtrack from Death Wish 2, which is actually composed by Jimmy Page. No bullshit about that. This movie is damn near perfect, in my eyes, you know, in my only opinion. But to think that the studio rushed this movie out to capitalize on an actual vigilante is just crazy. Now, in 1984, Bernard Getz was jumped by four teens in a uh, subway. He took it upon himself to shoot each one of them. Uh, They, uh, the dude... You know, just decided that he wanted to defend himself against all those these little hoodlums that were running around the subways at the time. Made big headlines and stuff. So the studio was like, okay, well, let's uh, let's make some money off of this. And they did. Funny thing is, is 1.5 million of the money that they made back went straight to Charles Bronson. Because that was his fee. Now, the studio and Charles had been going back and forth about his fee. And at one point, they went to go ask Chuck Norris. That's right, the legendary badass himself, Chuck Norris. And guess what? Chuck said no. This movie is too violent for me. I can't do that. What? Now, all these cool memes about Chuck doing this and Chuck doing that? Bullshit. There needs to be Charles Bronson memes and they need to take their rightful place at the throne. I'm going to go ahead and uh, say an unpopular opinion. Death Wish 3 is everything the John Wick movies wish they were. Yeah, I went ahead and I said that. I I stepped over that line. Because John Wick isn't the character that everybody makes him out to be. You know, in the first movie, he was like this mythical legend who everybody kept saying, Oh, wow, you got to watch out with him. He's the Baba Yaga. Or whatever bullshit they wanted to call him. You know, he killed a whole bunch of people with a pencil... He was the guy that you sent after the boogeyman. You know, and he, he fucking laid the foundation full of bodies. All this other junk. But, think about this. He got his ass beat by three punks. Not assassins. Punks. For being a super hitman, or whatever it is he was, he should have been sleeping with one eye open 
let alone let three guys beat the trash out of him and kill his dog, and then steal his car? Bullshit. Straight bullshit. Then to top it off, in all of his movies, he gets his ass beat. All of them. Paul Kersey took on a whole gang, a platoon of street thugs, and came out unscathed. He survived a, a missile attack in a building without one scratch on him. Now you tell me who's more of a badass. So that's all the time I got for today. <laughs> Sorry you guys have to live through that. But as usual, you can catch me at slash underscore vision underscore TV on Instagram. And I'm going to leave you one of the greatest Charles Bronson quotes of all time. See you later. You believe in Jesus? Yes, I do. Well, you're going to meet him. Crack of dawn, all is gone except the will to be.